This is CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring you today's best mysteries, thrillers, and suspense novels. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Christy Belcamino, the author of the wildly entertaining Gabriella Giovanni mystery series, the latest of which, Blessed Are Those Who Weep, was just released. Christy, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. It's a treat to talk to you. I read your first book, Blessed Are the Meek. It it seems like it was only a few days ago. Time flies. I don't remember when that was actually published, and I loved it. And you're on your third book already. So tell us a little bit about the series. Okay. Well, actually, the first book is is Blessed Are the Dead. And I I wrote that book. uh, I sat down to write that book intending it to be uh, a nonfiction story, actually, a true crime story. Um, and then I discovered that as I was writing it, um, it it was more fun to write it as fiction. But it was based on my job as a, a Bay Area news reporter. I covered the crime beat. And I had had a lot of dealings with a serial killer who preyed on children, on little girls. And I had left my job, and I had moved to Minnesota and become a mother, and I had two little girls. And I found I was really haunted by this guy and the things that he had done and the things that he had told me. So I initially sat down to write the book to sort of purge him out of my head to to kind of do a little bit of a form of therapy. And I realized as I was writing the book that I really fell in love with the main character and the life that she was living. She was living in San Francisco in the Italian part of town. And meanwhile, I was here in Minneapolis in the snow and <laughs> negative 30 um, as a stay-at-home mom. And so I, I sort of wrote it vicariously um, to live that that really exciting reporter life again. Um, and I fell in love with that world and I discovered I wanted to stay in her world. And, and so I wrote the second book and, and then I, I've been lucky enough to get a four book deal. So I have the third book just out and a fourth one will be out in the fall. Are you writing them this quickly or, or did you have a couple in the bank when you, uh, when you got the product or the, the deal? Good question. Yes. Uh, it's funny because in October I'll have four books published in 16 months. But the truth of it is, is that I immediately wrote the second book when I was done with the first. Um, like I said, I didn't want to leave that world right away. So when I um, was offered a book deal, I had two books ready to go. Okay. Uh, so that so they both came out this summer. One came out in June and one came out in August. And then when school started in September, I was told, well, you or my contract said I had to have the book turned in by December. Um, and I'm a pretty fast writer. Journalism really trains you how to uh, write quickly on deadline. Um, you, you know, you're kind of worried about your job and your editor screaming at you. So I think I have an advantage in that respect. But I was able to write the third book um, and get it turned in in December. And then now I'm going to have about the same, probably about four months um, to finish up the fourth. So... Still a pretty fast schedule, about two books a year. Now, I started following your blog. Oh, I'm not sure when it was, but you were writing this daily life of a writer kind of thing that I found very interesting. So I I, I was exposed to your work then, quickly bought the first book when it came out, and I apologize for getting the name wrong earlier. And I was just stunned at at how good it was for for a first crime book. Was that the first book you'd, you'd written for publication? Yes, and yes, and thank you for saying that. Yes, it was the first book, and, and I did I did write that one in four months, but then after I finished the first draft, I spent another year basically learning how to be a writer. I, <laughs> I, say, I, I say I gave myself a home a homeschool MFA um, because I, I finished the draft, and I had a teacher tell me it was great, and so I sent it out to agents, and the first agent 
who read it replied almost immediately and said, oh, you're not even close. You know, you don't measure up to the other writers in your field. And, and so I realized, wow, I'm not close at all. And so I spent a year basically trying to learn how to write. And so then a year later, when I had revised the book, um, then it was ready to go. But I had a lot of feedback from agents, which was extremely helpful. I had, toward the end, I had agents writing, you know, two pages of a rejection, but two pages of it. So I sort of, you know, had a lot of help in in polishing that first one, and and then the second one, you know, I was writing that in the meantime too, and that came so easily that I was sure it was horrible. It's like, well, this one I didn't have to revise for a year, so it must be terrible. And a lot of people say they like that one that one better. So I I guess I'm learning. I guess I'm I, as we all want to as writers, we're learning and improving all the time. Tell listeners a little bit about the storyline behind Blessed Are Those Who Weep. It gets off to a gruesome start. Yes, yes. Um, I, the first time I read that recently, at uh, the first chapter at Noir at the Bar, a friend of mine afterward said, I didn't know such a gruesome story could come out of such a sweet person. And <laughs> then, and then I was really worried. I thought, oh, man, I'm turning everybody off with this. But, yeah, it's got a little bit of a gruesome start. But I think it – and it might be a little bit darker than the other uh, two books. But my my editor thought that – thinks it's the most sophisticated book of the three. And then I've been getting you know early reviews on it that – I've been just ready to cry. I'm so happy about them. So I think, I think it's, um, I think it might be a little bit darker, but it's also a little bit more complex than the other books. Yeah, and I don't mean to imply that the book itself is dark. It just got off to a really, a shockingly for me, dark <laughs> start. And then there's then there's this scene with Gabriella and the, a baby, and it just you know it grabs your heart and doesn't let you go from that point forward. <laughs> Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they say that that you need to grab the reader with that first scene. So I, I hope that that works. <laughs> you did it. All right. So, so tell us tell us the story of the book. Well, I'm, can I do that without giving any spoilers? Well, yeah, of course you can. You, yeah, you, okay. <laughs> you're okay. a professional. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you for your confidence. Uh, well, Gabriella has an ongoing issue that she deals with in most of the books, and that is that when she was a little girl— her sis- sister was kidnapped and killed. And then while her sister was missing, her father also died. So she's always been struggling with this. So that's an ongoing thread throughout the book. And it kind of uh, forms her as a person and how she reacts to things. And, and she's still learning to trust and to love. And so that's another thread throughout the book, without giving spoilers, is, is her relationships, her romantic relationships. She's always kind of struggling with some issues and trying to learn to trust and to love. And um, another theme in the book is is her relationship with her family. Um, family is very, very important to Italian-Americans, and so I, I think that that will always be a thread in all my books. And the book itself is a lot about – it's a little bit about soldiers coming back from Iraq um, and Afghanistan early on um, – Still nowadays, but early on, before people really knew the effects of what they were seeing and what they were dealing with um, and how that was uh, manifesting itself once they came back home. Now, you know, in 2015, we we know this. This is common knowledge. But um, in the book, it wasn't quite as known at the time. Um, 
What else can I say without blowing the without it being a spoiler? Um, well, uh, well, let's just let's talk a little bit about Gabriella a little bit. She's a crime okay. reporter in San Francisco, yes. not yes. unlike uh, you were at one time. And I, I've got to ask you, as an yes. author who was not a crime reporter, what is the deal with all you crime reporters that <laughs> just become fabulous authors, and the rest of us just have to slog through and learn this stuff? You guys somehow rather learn to do it in the newsroom. You know, I think we learn how to tell a story, but the the challenge is learning how to show and not tell. And I think every journalist turned fiction writer has to learn how to flesh out a story instead of just, you know, because in journalism, we tell stories for the most part. And so we really have to learn to get into a scene and use all the senses and show. Um, but we also have the advantage of being able to write quickly, I think, like I was saying earlier. Um, and I also believe that journalists have a really good ear for dialogue. Um, I think that we were trained to do that as we interview people. We're trained to to listen to that a little bit. So I, I think those are the two great advantages. But there's also the disadvantage of learning a whole different way to write. Yes, a whole different way to write. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I still do both. So I, at first, when I came back to reporting, um, I thought that would be a major problem. But so far, I've been able to go to my job at the newspaper and then come home and write fiction and not have the two cross over enough where I get fired or I lose readers. One of the things that I really like about this genre in particular is – and your books are, are, are the ways readers get to learn about what it's like to do a certain job. And in, in in the case of your books, we're deep into the mind of Gabriella, who is a reporter, and there's this real sense of, oh, this is what it's really like. And obviously, it is what it's really like, because that's what you do for a living every day. Yes. And, you know, I, I think I'm stealing this line from Bruce De Silva, who's an Associated uh, Press editor and also fiction writer, a crime fiction writer now. And I believe he said this, and I feel really strongly the same way. Um, my books are a love letter to journalism. Um, in my case, I'd say in their heyday. Because I, I'm in the newsroom now, and honestly, it's a shadow of its former self. When I was a reporter, I left in 2003, but in those, I call it the glory days of reporting. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was so exciting and so much fun, and um, it, was a whole, it was completely different than it is now, and, it, and it's kind of sad. And so I think a lot of us are seeing the decline in journalism and what it used to be in its heyday, and we're sort of trying to recapture that in our, in our writing. <laughs> um, it's still fun, don't get me wrong, but it's, you know, I walk in and it's an empty newsroom, and, you know, it's just, it's, and the, it's a lot different. Um, and it was a really great time to be a reporter, especially in the Bay Area in a crime fiction. There's, there's something wacky happening that you can write about in the crime fiction, you know, in, in, or, excuse me, in the crime world. You know, it's, it's all the time and you just can't make it up. It just gets weirder and weirder. So, so it was really, really exciting time for me. And I, I actually never thought I would leave journalism, but then I had kids and it was, uh, it was definitely too hard to talk to, you know, serial killers and, and horrible mm. people and then come home and have this cute, you know, innocent little baby. And I just I just couldn't reconcile the, the two worlds for quite a long time. You got to do some cool things when you're in San Francisco. One yes. of the things that I read on your website, and I actually watched the video, was you flying an F-18 jet with the Blue Angels over Big Sur. What was that like? That was... That was wonderful, and I and you'll ha- and you have to tell them the name of the video because that kind of sums it all up. It's it's barfing with the blue angels because <laughs> that's what happens, and 
And I made the mistake of really loading up on a bunch of coffee. It was an early morning flight. And so I was drinking a bunch of coffee and I was nervous. So I didn't eat. And then we had this little short training and then I got in the cockpit and, and we got up in the air and the, the takeoff by far was the most exciting part because that's when you really can feel the speed. And, and, I, and I'm just grinning and I just can't stop smiling when we're taking off. And then up in the air, it's a little bit surreal because you don't know how fast you're going. You have no frame of reference, mm-hmm. just sort of floating around like Wonder Woman, you know, in her invisible jet because it's the canopy goes all the way down to the sides. And, you know, um, so all you see is sky. And I was doing really well until the pilot decided to, you know, show me some cool things like do some rolls and Mm -hmm. get inverted. And you don't wear a G-suit in an FA-18 Hornet. You, you, to keep yourself from passing out, they teach you this little maneuver where you have to squeeze your thigh muscles and grab these straps on your legs and you have to say, hook, hook, like this to keep yourself from, from passing out. Mm-hmm. And so I did not keep myself from passing out. I, when we were going upside down, I blacked out for a few seconds. As, you know, I was trying really hard not to. And then I got really sick, and and it's it, they told they give you like about twenty little bags with twisty ties, and they say when you get sick, you you use this bag, and then you put a little twisty tie, and then you stick it in the pants pocket of your flight suit. Mm. So you're I'm just loading up these pockets with vomit in little twist tie baggies, and it's and it's. And the worst part of all is I had no idea I was being videotaped. They never said we're going to give you a video of you on this flight throwing up. And so I get done and, and the guy, we land and the guy says, well, how'd you do? He comes and I said, oh, I was so sick. The, the one of, not the pilot, but someone else. And I said, I was just so sick. And he said, oh, I should have warned you. Almost everyone, 99.9% of the people who go up, you know, vomit on the first, the first flight. But, and so then they're like, here's a video of you throwing up like 10 times. So it was, it was amazing, but I really, really wish I wouldn't have been so sick because I think I could have enjoyed it a lot more. So once in a lifetime experience. So once you go up, you're on a list and you can't ever do it again. So that was my one time. So your life is a lot different now than it used to be. What's, what's, (laughs) what's a lot better about your life now than before? And what do you, what do you really miss? In context of my job, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's different. I, you know, now I'm a mom now, and so that makes everything I do as a reporter different. It makes how I approach stories different. It makes how I treat people different. And not that I was callous before, because I wasn't. I just didn't quite get it as much as I do now. And part of that's maturity. But my life right now is pretty sedate. Um, I usually sit home by myself and I write fiction. Um, for several, you know, and basically until the kids get home from school. Um, a couple times I'm meeting other people, other writers, and we're all writing together, but it's very solitary. And then on the weekends, I go back to the job. And, you know, I guess I miss, I miss the excitement of the Bay Area, but what's different now is I've cried on stories now um, at the Pioneer Press in, in St. Paul that I usually would have probably not really thought much about 10 years ago when I was a reporter. Now mm-hmm. it's everything's a little bit too close to home for me. So I think I, I think I'm probably more compassionate and a better reporter now than I was. Um, but I do miss I do miss that that excitement of the Bay Area where there's something odd happening every every day. You just can't make you know make up the, the strange things that come your way. That's a fabulous answer. Christy, what's the best way for people to keep up with you and your work? You know, I, I, I do blog still um, on, on my website, and that's, you can find that at um, 
www.blessedarethedead.com, but I'm actually pretty active on Facebook, and they can find me, Christy Belcamino, author, Christy Belcamino, writer on Facebook if they if they um, search there. Um, I blab a lot on there. I, I <laughs> tend to really be in touch with my readers um, on Facebook and have a lot of fun interacting with them and getting to know them there. And I will link to both of those in the show notes, Great, which you can find at crimefiction.fm. Christy Belcamino, it was great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at CrimeFiction.fm. If you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and drop us a rating or review. It'll help other crime fiction readers to find great new books like Christie's Blessed Are Those Who Weep. Thanks.